oh man, you're starting with the tough one. Well, I, I could ease into something like, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, being a woman in business at this particular moment. You want me to go there? No, let's go back to creativity. All right, there thanks, we go. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. And today, I'm especially thrilled. I have Kate Lewis, who is the chief content officer at Hearst Magazines. Kate, thanks for coming. I'm so happy I'm here. I, I am happier. If this is a competition, <laughs> please let me no, win I'm this I'm going to one-up portion. you on happiness. All right. <laughs> so I say this all the time, but I'm always fascinated by people's stories and okay. getting to spend a little bit of time sort of learning yours by stalking you. Yeah, well done. Um, You, uh, in a speech you gave not too long ago, kind of labeled your story a love story. Mm. So can you tell us about that? It's a love story with magazines. I was like a kid, and my mother worked in advertising, so I was familiar with the media marketplace. She was a creative director at, at a couple of ad agencies here in New York. So I was in the world of magazines, like they were part of our, she made TV commercials, but I knew I knew about them. And so I just became sort of, even like when I was little, it dates me, but there was a magazine called Ranger Rick. I was so hoping you were going to mention those two <laughs> words. We're going to get to that okay, in a second. Okay, good. And then, you know, I graduated to 17 and Mademoiselle and Cosmo and Glamour and I, you know, I cut out all the girls. I made my own magazines. I was like, I had like binders of women. (laughs) Just bring that back, that old yarn. (laughs) Of like all of the things that I was obsessed with in these magazines. So I knew, like from the time I think I was 11, like I was like, I will have a career in magazines. And then I did. So when I was young, Mm -hmm. let's call it, I don't know, 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever. Yep. I used to get Ranger Rick magazine, and it would come. It was a monthly, I think, yeah. by my recollection. Yeah. And literally, I would devour the thing in the morning, uh-huh. and then I'd wait, you know, four <laughs> more weeks for this thing to come out. Yeah. I would keep them all, and I had a shelf for them, and it was like it was like a whole thing. Yeah. I loved that magazine. Yeah. Basically, it was like a understand the world through nature kind yeah. of of thing. And I mean, I think that the was the mascot of the magazine a raccoon? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Rick was a raccoon. Yeah, Because why wouldn't he be? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we covered Ranger Rick. Yeah, we, can, we are we hitting can. the big topics here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this is a Gen X podcast, damn it. Um, so one of the things that you talk about at length, which is obvious for your kind of role, is creativity. Mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated by how people such as yourself define creativity. We live in a time of such incredible media saturation that all these incredible things are being made and and they're all really creative and they're all really, really different. I think, you know, one thing I'm sort of obsessing about now is the the cadence you described of like you get a magazine every month and that there's actually what we want from our media is a certain level of familiarity, right? Like if you're a thriller reader, you read thrillers. Mm. If you are a sitcom watcher, you watch sitcoms. If you're an L reader, you get L. And you want the deliverable to be similar every month. You're not looking at it. You're not an L person because you wanted to do something you didn't expect it to do in a wild way. So to me, creativity is the cutting edge of making something completely brilliant and on brand and artistic and interesting and complicated and then making something that surprises you, right? That it's that weird like Venn diagram of of those two things. That's a great description. I love that because it sort of has a, a broad overlap in my mind with, with brands as a whole, right? Yeah. So brands have to come to you with DNA that you recognize. Of course. But in order to survive, they have to be able to kind of 
expand upon Do that more. DNA. Yeah. yeah. So that question kind of leads me into this idea, and I'm not a fan of this term, but I don't have a better one, so I apologize. <laughs> okay of digital transformation, right? Uh-huh. So there has been, we're in decade three probably now, yeah. of digital transformation <laughs> yeah. in publishing. Where are you guys and where we're sort of your team specifically in your transformation at this point? I mean, I think as far as being a creative team, right? Being an editorial team. Yeah, and dealing with sort of the the constant change reality of Consumer behavior, delivery right. and distribution right. mechanisms, distribution. Contra- you know, uh, and competition. You almost have to be platform agnostic now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like you got to chase the good idea and mm-hmm. then you got to think about how you craft it for each of the platforms that you're trying to deliver that story or that message or that idea. You know, that's a huge transformation because most editors are they know the craft of their media. Mm. And so getting someone to say, you know, yeah, for, you know, 20 years I've been editing print features and now I'm going to come up with video ideas and produce video or produce a podcast is like, it's a radical difference. But actually, if you can strip away the kind of the challenge and the anxiety even of transforming the media that you're in, the idea is the same. So the the best thing to do, I think, if you're a creative person these days is just to be like, what are my good ideas? And then who wants to hear them where? Yeah. You know, and, and go backwards. One of the things that I think it's become a proxy for is the transformation that's happened in the marketing discipline more broadly. Yeah. Right? So much has been written about sort of this idea that editorial approach to marketing mm-hmm. is the way that, quote unquote, the new marketing needs to happen. And that is a multi-channel, multi-platform approach where your ideas have to be manifest in in all kinds of different forms. But that inherently breaks the frame of how we've made content in both agencies and client constructs for a really long time. You guys have been doing that sort of just by nature for Mm -hmm. a longer period of time. What kind of lessons are there in your sort of emerging into these new places, going from the written word to podcast to audio to video? I mean, I think the thing that you have to bear in mind is what does the audience want to hear there, Mm. right? Or experience there. And if that's your North Star, then you can get so in love with your idea that you forget that you have to deliver it well. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I think that is is the critical piece of it. And I think as we work with clients as well, something we think about a lot too is like, we understand what your message is, but now forget your message. Now ask what messages the audience want to hear here and how do they want to hear it. And now let's weave your message back into that experience. And so that to me feels like a thing that editors have been doing for a long time you know, with a mixed degrees of success. Like, right. it's not like we mastered it, but that, that's sort of our discipline. What's interesting, actually, from what you said, is it's also true, given the current digital environment, that editors now have to be marketers. Yeah. Like, in the past, we made a magazine, and then consumer marketing sold it. That's right. And now, we make a piece of content, and then we have to go out there into the digisphere. It's not a word. It is now. Yeah, it's an amazing word, too. It's I'm really proud of it. digisphere. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Can we delete this from the podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's one surefire way to get it in. But yes, I, 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 we will protect you and the innocent. Um, but that you, you know, you're responsible for the championing yeah. your work, which has been, it's something we talk a lot, a lot about. Is that like being an artist is not enough. You have to be a strategist. In a previous era, Mm -hmm. would that have violated church and state? I don't think the promotion of 
creative work would have, okay. but right. it just wasn't required in okay. the same way. Yeah, got yeah. it. But there is a commercial acumen to it. Yeah, there yeah. is. And Not that, that that wasn't that, right, true, but right. before. That part is, yeah, it's a new skill, and it's one that there are stereotypes about all kinds of editors, but certainly one is one, you know, an ink-stained wretch, right, locked alone in a room <laughs> editing away. Like, that you cannot be anymore. You just can't. No. You, you are responsible for really understanding how this piece of content will reach people in a way that you just didn't have to worry about so much before. Screaming, damn the money, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was healthy. Those were good times. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. Let's get out of my office. Um, Let's change gears a little bit. As you look at the big shifts in content development, so the way that we make content, Mm -hmm. and then the way that we distribute it, what are sort of the the biggest things happening right this moment for mm-hmm. you guys and what's what are the what's sort of the newer parts of that content is now a short game and a long game mm. and even more than platform that to me is the the hyper difference between how we make it so a short game is not even necessarily bite-sized things, but it's like, you know, quicker to create, more reactive, that kind of stuff that we do you know, in a much faster way and that we do entirely in-house, mm. right? That's one piece. And then long game is like, okay, I'm doing a a really investigative deep thing or I'm doing a video series or I'm doing, you know, whatever it is. And that is often pulling talent from all over the place and, and being more of a operator of a production. And those disciplines and the ability to do those things, that's the real difference I see now. So it's not so much I'm a print editor, I'm a a digital editor, I'm a video maker, I'm a photographer. It's more, what's my game? Obviously, in our space, one of the things, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of outsourcing and insourcing and what should sit where and, you know, what should agencies retain as the work that they do and what should be done, you know, sort of the intellectual property that sits in-house. I like your analogy of sort of the short and long term because I think mm-hmm. some of that's applicable potentially. Yeah, the short game right now is really intense. <laughs> <laughs> we all live in it, you yeah. know, and you can't, we no longer have the luxury of delivering messages that roll out over time exclusively. Right. We still need to do the big swings, yep. but you, it's a different, and I don't think any of us were quite prepared for that. How do you find the right talent to do that short game work? It's the culture. Hmm. You know, so most people who are drawn to doing this kind of work in general will go where the wins are. Hmm. You know, so if you create wins in that space, then the smart, aggressive people (laughs) will go after them, (laughs) bless their hearts. You mentioned your mom in your story. Yeah. It sounds like a, a Rather amazing role model, particularly at a different era. Yeah. You know, she was in sort of the creative end of the advertising business, which was no small thing for a woman. Yeah. And to be a creative director was an even bigger thing for a woman. Yeah. What did you witness in her trials and tribulations, for lack of a better colloquialism, that you've taken with you? You know, I think mom was. She was an extraordinarily creative person, and so it helped her get over hurdles, I think, because people wanted her brain power on stuff. And she loved the work. Mm. Like, she loved it. I was really lucky. I got to go on, like, commercial sets with her from the time I was really little. And so I got to see, you know, how it was like the 70s and 80s, how this, like, big-budget TV commercials were made. You know, I was like... It was very cool. And so, you know, I think what drew me to this is that I I love the work too. And I think that's really critical. 
as far as tribulations go, the honest truth is that aging for a woman at that time was a death knell. Yeah. And I saw her career shrink and shrink and shrink as she got older. And I mean, I think I'm just generally obsessed with youth culture, but maybe the, that's partly the backlash of feeling like, well, I really need to stay connected with where the next consumer is if part of my job is to make products for them because it matters. It, it matters. I, I worry about it all the time, to be yeah, honest. Good. So, you and me uh, both. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, you know now within a year of 50. And oh. so I think all the time about, you know, my right. irrelevance. Yeah. My planned obsolescence. <laughs> I, I think kids help a lot in that regard. I know everybody gives that answer and it's yeah. so cliche, but I can't think of a better example. I mean, my daughter in particular. How old is she? She's 15. Oh, I've got a 15-year-old too. Yeah, and, and she is my sort of sense yeah. check on yeah. where we are. Yeah. And it's... I quote her constantly. Mm-hmm. In our particular industries, that that question of connectivity to sort of a cultural pulse is is super important. Yeah. And there's just no way around it. And the people that age and stay in the business have found ways to do that. One of the things actually that about the like overwhelming nature of content right now and the facility that digital gives us all to access it is that I actually think, and maybe this is self-serving, but that older people have more relevance in the cultural conversation than they've had in a while. So I think if you look like at the TV slate of things that are coming out, there's tons to serve teens and 20s, but there's tons to serve grown-ups too. And even in our roster of magazines, you know, we were just talking today about there is a cluster of magazines that serve women 40 plus that we publish. And like, there are lots of products that need to reach those women. There yep. are lots of stories that those women alone want to hear and will share, and they're active in this digital space. So I, I think partly, too, it's that, yes, we live in a youth culture, but we live in a much more multi-generational culture than I think my mom was oh, experiencing. Oh, for sure. For which sure. is good for you and me. For sure. You, now I can sleep tonight, <laughs> yeah, so thank Sarah, you. Yeah, I gave you that. So we talk a lot about trust, but let's talk about trust as it relates to brands uh, and the media business. How much do you worry about the level of trust leakage, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. phrase? That's a good phrase, actually. um, That your brands are, whether they like it or not, suffering from. I mean, this is probably not a politic answer, but I don't worry about it at all. (laughs) (laughs) But it is my favorite answer. (laughs) I just don't. And and maybe it's because I'm exuberantly confident, but like we have the authority and the kind of rigor Mm. of 100 years in almost all of our brands. And I have a really strong team and I feel like (laughs) it's like the only thing that does not keep me up at night. Like the authority of our brands and our creators, I feel rock solid on. I love that answer. Yeah. How much are you having a conversation about privacy data security, sort of the issues that, let's be frank, the big digital platforms have not done a fantastic Mm -hmm, job with. mm -hmm. Where is that sort of fitting into the work that you and your teams do on building content? So one of the things that I think consumers want is personalized content. Mm -hmm. And so we talk a lot about privacy as it relates to that, because 
I would like to deliver to you exactly what you want from me every day, right? I don't want to deliver you a bunch of stuff that you're like, I don't need that. I just, I'm just interested in these six topics or these six authors or, you know, whatever it is. We think a lot about, as we talk about the technology around our platform, about what we can discern from you, what we can discern from your habits, what you will tell us, and how we can make the experience better for you. And I think when we get into that space, is where we begin to think, how do we make this person feel safe whilst also providing them with something that is a more intimate content consumption experience? That's something we talk a lot about. And I also work on the European brands, and so we've just gone through GDPR there. One thing that really surprised us with that was that everyone was like, yep, cookie me, I want to read your site. So we were quite worried about what that would feel like. And then it kind of wasn't a big crisis for us. So, and again, it may be because of the nature of our content or the history of our brands. We've been in a space where our readers have been more comfortable to release information to us, but we take that trust extremely seriously as we think about going deeper into understanding them so that we can be better serving them. The question I want to sort of follow up on that with is, what's the state of the relationship with big digital platforms for you guys at the moment? Obviously, they're a vitally important piece of demand and distribution and you know it just is what it is mm-hmm. what's sort of the the state of friendliness that exists in that relationship we're pretty friendly i mean we play a codependent game <laughs> it's um, the first step to recovery yeah, by the exactly. way we have been push to think differently about content distribution by many of the platforms. I would highlight Snap as one of them, where we have a really comfortable and great relationship. You know, we have developed video productions for Facebook. They were among the first companies to trust us to do that. Um, We do that with Twitter now, too. So in all cases, there is an ongoing dialogue about how to make what we do fit their platform and do it in a way that feels right to us. And I think we have thus far navigated that pretty well. Let's talk video because you just brought it up. Yes. Look, every year is the year of video and it gets yeah, bigger and bigger yeah. every year. And then when we, I, in my particular case, I feel stupid saying, oh, it's the year of video again this yeah. year. And yet it is. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your perspective on where are we in the growth pattern? What comes next? Is you know, Are we literally talking about a sort of lim- almost limitless pathway at the moment mm-hmm. there? I would agree with you. It's the year of video, just like last year. (laughs) You know, we've had tremendous growth in video, particularly in the past two years. We have put a lot of resource behind that. We have really transformed the talent in that group. We have invested a lot in it. And I like it because for me, it's like I'm kind of learning and doing at the same time. I also confess that I was a little skeptical when I started like this why are we doing all this? Like, I like to read. And I have been delighted to see that people (laughs) like to do all the things. Yes. You know, and I think that is very true. To me, at the moment, there is a kind of, the the trend seems to be make TV-like series that are not as long or as expensive to make. And I think that there will probably be a evolution from this as well. We've had a lot of success. We've had particularly a a huge amount of success on YouTube in the past two years. And in the women's space, it's nice to see the growth there. I think YouTube's excited about it too. Like there needs to be more female content on that platform that is complicated and interesting and narrative and also just entertaining. So, you know, we'll continue plugging away at that, but I suspect there will be more evolution. I think, you know, players like us, we're starting to deliver product to places like Pluto TV and Quibi and 
We'll see what happens with Quibi. We have a bunch of shows that we're doing for them. We have stuff that we're producing, you know, putting stuff on Roku, all these kind of... So we're in the midst of playing with what does the media company production house look like and what is it delivering? And right now we're deep in the series space. The good thing is I think you're going to continue to get a lot more platforms, pending the economy hangs in there. Yes. Because if it doesn't, you know, day two of whatever coming economic apocalypse, you know, turn down, whatever, that will result in a dramatic shrinkage of, you know, the entire loom escape. It's certainly some of these platforms. Right, the startup. Not trying to be negative, just being realistic. And I've seen the movie, so. Well, I also think that from a consumer point of view, it's a touch overwhelming at the moment. Certainly from a consumer standpoint. Mm -hmm. From a marketer standpoint, I can. Uh, it's bananas. Of course. Let's sort of jump ahead. What's the one thing that people in our industry, our sort of joint industry, aren't talking about that they should be? So we talked a little bit before about intergenerational things. Yeah. And I am very obsessed with things that transgress generations. There are companies that do, right? Like I would say Netflix does, yep. amazing. But there are also actions that do. So texting and chat to me feels like a untapped distribution platform for media and marketing messages. Part of the reason we went so, you know, hog wild with Snapchat when they launched was because we were excited to have an opportunity to insert media into what was fundamentally a chat platform. Right. And so I think that that's something we must keep our eye on because there is a fever for email newsletters. I am guilty of them for sure. But I prefer not to communicate on email so much these days, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And so I'm curious Kate, to see... Kate, perish the thoughts, my favorite thing. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. You love like the 600 emails you get I every love, day. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> you know, the way that I'm, you and I would talk to yep. each other, which is a chat format, how will we get media and marketing into that? And then the other thing that feels cross-generational to me is voice. Yeah. We are nowhere near it yet. We're certainly on the podcast's you know, there's great storytelling happening. There are great interview shows happening. There's not great monetization happening. There's not great subscription products happening yet. So that feels untapped to me. And then all the voice command things in your house, like I haven't moved past asking the weather every day. But there's a lot more, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> that my Alexa could tell me. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of development that could happen there. And I think about that with our brands particularly because so much of it is service journalism. That kind of search behavior that we now have with Google could be really, really interesting in voice. So we talked to Connell Byrne, who is the president of iHeart Podcasting yes, Network yeah. uh, in Cannes. Did you do one of these in Cannes? Yeah, well, on a boat, actually. Oh, I want to... Next year, can I do that yeah, I, one? I apologize. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have mentioned that. Thanks actually, for no, this conference we were, we, room. <laughs> <laughs> As we were having the conversation, and he's a fantastic guy, very interesting guy, and he talks about the massive scale that they have together, right? Mm-hmm. So he was part of the StuffWorks empire yes. that merged with iHeart. Yes. And they were each basically doing, you know, 65 million downloads or something. So now they have this 130 million whatever. Mm-hmm. And I sort of posed, you know, the naive question, oh, well, aren't we sort of at the... I'm fascinated with being at the top of something and the cliff is coming. Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> and his his response was, oh, no, 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 no. There's like a million more things yeah. for us to figure out. And he mentioned monetization. The other thing he, he mentioned was their entire verticals that are, you know, white space. So Untouched. like true crime is a disaster. There's like right. a million players. Right. But, you know... Frankly, some of your categories, food and travel and 
are not. Right. You know, they're still very, very Organization. open. Organization. And to be, yeah, and to be defined, yeah. right? Even the business category is sort yeah. of not yeah. fleshed out. So he made me much more, I mean, I'm pretty bullish on audio to begin with, but he made me much more bullish that, you know, right. it's not the Dow 1999, <laughs> you know, or March 2000 or whatever. Yeah. So if you were going to kind of relaunch Mm-hmm. <laughs> your role tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What have you learned over the past couple of years that would be the things that you do differently? So many of the print incarnations of our brands have just come into my care because I've been in this job for a year. Mm. And I think about, I've been thinking about a, a lot because we just put a new editor-in-chief at Esquire. Like, if you were launching Esquire today, yeah. what would it be? And if you were thinking about the whole cast of a general interest magazine, be it for men or for women. Like, how does that serve your audience? So in some ways, it'd be nice to clear the cobs webs of what we historically anticipate from these brands and just rethink like, okay, what does the modern man want from a general interest magazine? So in my own role, I guess I feel that I, I think I'm moving really fast. You always wonder, is the pace you're going at helpful or hurting? And should it be faster? Or should it be slower? Yeah. Is it, you know, and that that feels like a little bit of the, you cannot lose sight of the fact that the media landscape, everything that I'm saying to you now will probably be irrelevant tomorrow. That's how fast we're moving. And yep. so to have a team that can transform quickly and still love their work. That's the challenge. And you always wonder, are you doing it right? It's a difficult environment for everything. (laughs) But it's especially difficult being a manager and a leader of teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because the things you kind of relied on for a long time, expectations and sort of a plan and a consistent plan Mm -hmm. and, you know, people sort of understanding each day when they walk through the front door what is going to confront them. Right. That is so radically different now than even three years ago or Mm. five years ago. And that's only going to get more difficult. I just was in a conversation with Nina Garcia today, who's the editor-in-chief of Elle, and she and I had been talking about her cover strategy literally two weeks ago. And then today we had a whole other conversation. We're like, I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe this is a different approach for us on this. And it's it's really true. You have to work with people who can weather that kind of like constant rethinking, constant retooling. On the other hand, if you just are responsive all the time and you never plan, you won't make anything truly great. That's right. And it's really easy right now to get lost in the daily. Two more, and then we're going to do the lightning round so you can get excited about <gasps> right. that. Yeah, I'm going to limber up for up. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. That. I'm, I'm excited by your excitement. <laughs> do you have one or two areas, the end of 19 and into 20, that you're sort of pinpoint focused on? One of the things I think Hearst has to its tremendous advantage in the current landscape is that we collaborate across brands. Mm. So for me, it feels like the big exciting wins for us are when we can work together mm. and, and achieve something on on all of our platforms. Like that is real resonance and make can make a real difference in the media space. And so I am very focused right now on thinking about what are those big ideas that tie all of our brands together that we can really like like the fireworks display of what we're capable of. Mm. What would be kind of interesting to me is like the he said, she said, Esquire, Cosmo, like joint quiz. You know what I mean? Like how do you... And maybe you guys already do that kind of thing. We but have like, done some stuff like that, okay. but actually we're talking about this today. Like what if you had a cover on one of our men's brands and our women's brands? And we had this idea, right, which you can now do because everything can move, of like walking from one cover to the other. Yeah, right? Cool. How do you have and, – and we've talked about this too in terms of dialogue. Like we had once this thing that was about 
telling a story in social with all this, the chorus of voices from all of the brands and their social channels, Mm. right? So imagine, for example, if you were talking about makeup, right? That like Mary Claire represents eyes and Elle represents skin and Harper's Bazaar represents lips and like how would you... So I love that idea of like the weave between all of these different voices on in a singular location. Last question before the lightning round. Mm -hmm. Why do you love this business? Oh man, I am so addicted to the kind of content that we produce. Like I just think one of the things that is important to me is that our brands reflect joy. Mm. And it doesn't mean that they can't be incredibly serious or thought-provoking or challenging or all those things, but like to help American consumers digest, make easy, make exciting their world. Like we have a gift that we get to do this, you know, and we get to do it about like what your medicine cabinet looks like organizationally to like, you know, what the debates meant to how to raise a boy. Like Mm. it's incredible stuff. And I just, I'm a maniacal rabid consumer of all of it. Yeah, I, I would read each one of those things you just mentioned. Oh, good. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure our medicine closet is a catastrophe. Uh, <laughs> we are here for you. The debate you. thing makes me want to jump out a window. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, my son will be 19 in a couple months, going off to college. Oof, scary. And I'm still like, ooh. Now, right. now I'm at the letting the bird go phase. Yeah. And I'm like, did we teach him how to eat? Right. Oh, what, did we, what did we forget? I, and right. the answer is a lot. <laughs> And you can't do anything about it. Right. It's too late now. It's done. (laughs) Favorite digital experience, not one of your own. So we talked a lot about video. One of the things I like about Instagram stories is that you can control your video watching experience. Mm. So like I can watch 15 seconds, skip the next 15, watch the next 15, skip the next 15. That experience to me, it's the sweet spot for me in terms of video. And I find myself a big addict on other platforms of the scrubbing bar. Mm. And so... I like that digital has made us have, just in the same way that you would read a piece of con- like text, yep. that you would, you might read the first paragraph, skip down to the picture and the yep. caption, go back, go back. I like that digital has allowed us to do that. I'm with you. Stories, like I can bang through eight little segments yes. and then be like, oh, wait, I missed the third one yes. and then go back. Yes, yeah, yeah. right. It's like bookmarked for you. It's, yeah. yeah. Favorite piece of content that you've recently consumed could be anything. So Netflix series, book, interview, Whatever. This is almost stating the obvious, but I cannot stop reading about Jeffrey Epstein. Like, it is a terrible and dark rabbit hole that has so many tentacles in it, and I'm a little bit, you know, fixated on that right now. I'm with you. There's a New York Magazine, I think it's New York Magazine piece. The little black book piece. Yeah. Yeah, that came out today. Yep, read every word of that one. Oof. not pretty. Yeah, so that's my dark place. <laughs> that's my not joy place. <laughs> I'm going to give you an antidote to that. So today we have up on Esquire, I can't remember, it was like in the late 90s, Tom Juno, who is a storied and incredible writer for Esquire, wrote the sort of definitional piece on Mr. Rogers, on which the film with Tom Hanks is based. Yeah. And that's up on the site today. So if you need the antidote, that's what I'm giving you. I'm that, all over that. Okay, good. Best career advice you've either given or received? I find that it's really important to remember that people need want to be listened to. Mm-hmm. So my three favorite words are, I hear you. Mm. And I feel like it also makes you stop. 
So like a lot of the times I can be defensive. If people are giving me feedback I don't want to hear or telling me things that I think are wrong or whatever, like my instinct is immediately to like, <sighs> and if you stop and say, I hear you, and then you actually try and hear them, mm-hmm. they may still be wrong, you know, or you, you know, but you have taken, given them the courtesy mm-hmm. of appreciating their point of view and it will get you down the road in the end. So that's my, that's my favorite piece of career. Advice. I love that. Competitor you most admire? Oh, there is a lot of great competition out there right now. Well, but since we're on the Jeffrey Epstein theme, and I, I read that story today, I would say that a lot of the kind of local New York insider deep coverage that New York Magazine, The Cut, The Intelligence, or that, that that cluster of brands is doing always really impresses me. I think that they have a beat that they have dug deep into in a successful way, and I admire that. Yeah, they, I, I would second that. They've done some some great work. Thing people should know about you, but they don't. The thing that they don't know about me is that, truthfully, I'm probably an introvert. And I think I don't act like that too much. But it sometimes feels like acting. In your heart, you are more internal than people yeah. would ever think. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something in that that a lot of extroverted slash hidden introverted people can <laughs> yeah. relate to. yeah. Right. Even in my own case, like everybody thinks I'm just like a talk out loud because I am like a talk out loud, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But there's definitely, you know, and it comes out in airports. <laughs> what happens in airports? <laughs> I just, I don't want a thing to do with any yes. human in airports yeah. ever. And subways. Well, forget it. <laughs> uh, and elevators. Yes. When I was growing up, I went to a school where you, which had an elevator. It was like in a tall building, and you weren't allowed to speak in the elevator. And I'm like scarred for life. And now when I get in an elevator and people speak to me, I'm like, shh. I think it's an excellent policy. Yes. Know? We should just have quiet in elevators Things as that a should rule. not happen in an elevator. <laughs> Speaking, eating. Eating in um, an elevator is so no, not okay. Like, none of those <laughs> things should happen. Kate, I can't thank you enough. You were literally fantastic. This was so fun. You're you, a delight to talk to. Uh, well, thank no you. No wonder you're, you have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we tend to do the things that we yeah, like and we're yeah, good at. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, I, there's a reason why I'm not the CFO. Um, <laughs> so would you entertain coming back? Sure. Oh, I love it. I mean, especially if we're in Cannes on a boat. I tell you what, next time, so yeah. so Diageo is one of our oh, uh, yeah, adored yeah, yeah. clients. That can work for me. Even if we're not on a boat in Cannes, uh, we have just one floor above us, yes. a, a kegerator with Guinness, if you're up for that. And then we have the lovely selection of Diageo I'm spirits. In. All right, so we'll do that the next time. Okay, good. Kate, thanks so much. And, Thank uh, you. This and is super fun. We loved having you. So that's kind of it for us. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. And please, if you feel so motivated, give us a like or a subscribe. And we'll see you real soon. Thanks so much. <laughs>